good we have a few brave souls. It's not quite so empty up here. Thank you all for filling the front bench up. Uh, some of you older ones can take uh, take some uh, instruction from that. Uh, we are glad you're here. So what does a preacher preach about on a Sunday morning that a lot of stuff is geared towards it already? You know, I, uh, I could have just... Uh, worked on something else but I thought you know it's 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 Easter Sunday it's Resurrection Sunday it's um, what uh, gives us anticipation for future and so I pretty much did what I usually do I got my sermon ready and then I looked at the Sunday school lesson um I have one verse in my notes that's in the Sunday school lesson, okay? So I'm not teaching the Sunday school lesson again. But I don't have a lot of personal comments this morning. As I think about the resurrection, yes, there's that incident that took place when Jesus came forth out of the grave. But that's just the beginning of his resurrection, and the benefits of his resurrection. Can somebody tell me this morning, which is the most important? Christ's death or his resurrection? Oh, see, so you've been around the Campbells too. Okay. I... Uh, was sitting in Florida one time and a question like that was asked and I was in a strange place so I kept my mouth shut but I had an older brother that was sitting up here and when that question came out he said yes uh, and somebody said that's just a Campbell answer one without the other uh, is not complete I'll just put it that way of course, you, it's a little hard to have resurrection without death. You don't have remission of sins without the shedding of blood. So you don't have one without the other doesn't do us a lot of good in our Christian life. I think this verse will be in, the, in my message this morning, but it says if if death is the end, we're a miserable person because we have nothing to look forward to. <clears throat> so this morning I have lots of verses. And uh, in one case, I went looking down through there and I thought, well, I'd just pick out a couple of verses out of this chapter. But you really couldn't get to a good stopping point. I wanted to read some of the Old Testament mentions of resurrection. I want to read some of what Jesus said prior to his resurrection. I want to look at some evidences of that resurrection. 
going to start out in Acts, and I have most of these references printed out, so I won't give you time to turn to them. And we'll see how time goes. I, uh, I thought about just having something very short this morning and giving you opportunity to give testimony of what the resurrection means to you. And we'll see how this goes. I might still give you that chance. So uh, multitask this morning. Listen and, and think. The Apostle Paul, when he was there on trial, after he'd appealed to Caesar and and uh, he was told, you know, if you hadn't appealed to Caesar, I'd let you go. This is a little bit why he was there. In Acts 25, verse 18, he says, Against whom, when the accuser stood up, they brought none accusations of such things as I supposed. I think this is Felix talking. But had certain questions against him of their own superstitions and of one Jesus which was dead, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. So Paul's on trial because he was proclaiming to these people something they didn't want to believe. Chapter 26, he says this, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, Paul talking, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews. Especially... Now here we have Paul playing on the, the um, emotions of the king, especially because I know thee to be an expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation of, at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which, be, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our twelve tribes instantly serving God day and night hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you, that God should raise the dead. So here he is telling Agrippa, you're, you know all this stuff because you're a learned man. So why is it so incredible that God should raise the dead? I want to go back to some of what Old Testament saints said. Job, in Job 19 Verse 25, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. Job says, I'm going to see my Redeemer. Now, of course, his Redeemer hadn't even come yet. His Redeemer hadn't died yet. His Redeemer hadn't risen yet. But he said, I'm going to see him after my flesh is destroyed. The psalmist in Psalm 17, As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake 
in your likeness. Isaiah 26, 19. Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in dust. For your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Daniel. Last chapter of Daniel. Daniel says this, and I'm not getting into prophecy here. Except to say that Daniel knew of his Redeemer. Verse 1 of chapter 12 of Daniel. At that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. There shall be a time of trouble, such as never has never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered, every one who is found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Old Testament saints recognized that God was eternal, and he had preparations made for the eternal well-being of mankind. Now, so we sit here and we wonder why couldn't those disciples that walked with Jesus and heard Jesus say all this not believe, not understand. So why don't you and I today, we have those Old Testament saints, we have Jesus' teaching, we have Jesus' uh, actions, we have the apostles, and yet we still, at least sometimes, don't act like we understand what's going on. Jesus prophesied that he was going to rise again. I guess largely what my focus is on is not so much on that actual act, but on what we anticipate, okay? Jesus said back in Matthew 20, Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him through the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. I didn't just look back. I, you know, I guess I never recognized that in that situation Jesus was using another person. He was saying, uh, Son of Man will be betrayed. They will condemn him to death. They will deliver him to the Gentiles. And the third day he will rise again. But he's talking about himself to his disciples. John 5:25. Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice, and come forth those 
who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Jesus talking about what's going to happen to you and I. I took the title, Resurrection and Life, from something that came up in Sunday school class this morning. Maybe I'll turn to this one real quickly. But remember what Jesus told Martha at the, the, when he raised Lazarus from the dead? Now, probably shouldn't even say this because you are, are intelligent people and you understand all these things, but there were resurrections prior to Jesus' resurrection, okay? But they died again. Um, somebody mentioned something about uh, Lazarus coming back. They said, you know, um, Jesus cried or wept because he was bringing Lazarus back into a world situation again. Uh, and I don't know if that was the case or not, but he knew what he was coming back to. And he had to suffer death again a second time. If this is what he says to Martha, uh, John 11, verse 23. Let me start at verse 21. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, Whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. We'll stop there just a little bit. Martha realized there was a resurrection at the end of time. Okay? I know that Lazarus will come back at that day. Verse 25. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Jesus is our resurrection. He is our life eternally. He is our life here. Now, I don't want to get into what all uh, it means about being dead yet living. We heard that a little bit at the beginning this, this morning when Josiah went through that. We die so we can have life here. We die physically so that we can look forward to eternal life. Now let's look a little bit at the, some of the evidences of Jesus' resurrection. Matthew 27. Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, so that the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. 
I've always been impressed with that statement from Pilate. You make it as sure as you can. Verse 66, so they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Of course, you know what happened with that. Matthew 28, verse 1, now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb, came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. These men that made the tomb secure, as secure as they could, became like dead men. That was a really secure guard. Verse 5, But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. I'm going to skip over to John 20 just a little bit. Where it says, They both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that was around, that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and saw and believed. Wasn't a... Um, unruly resurrection. Now, yes, you have the earthquake. You have the ones with countenances lightning and clothing as white as snow and the guards shaking and becoming like dead men. But there was order. You see those cloths lying there and the napkin by itself. I don't know. Maybe there's not a lot of significance in that, but um, he's not there. I'm glad the Lord rolled a stone back. There wasn't any question whether there were any bones in there. I heard... I don't even know where I heard it, but uh, there was some lyrics of a song that said there's no bones there. There's not even a hair. Now, I don't know if that's the case or not. But Jesus isn't there, I can tell you that. Verse 12 of John 20. She saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to him, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are, whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. 
Now think about this. Here Jesus is talking to Mary. He said, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She thought he was the gardener. The next verse says he called her by name. And she recognized him. Now, I don't know if there was something in the tone of his voice, the way he called her by name, or the very fact that she that he knew her name. Next verse says, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. You drop down to verse 19, it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Today we don't serve a dead king, a dead ruler. He's alive, and he's got not going to die anymore. The next one I have here is the encount on the road to Emmaus. And we heard some a little speculation about who this might have been, and I don't know. Verse 28 in Luke 24, Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. And this was after Jesus asked them, What's going on? What are you talking about? And they said, Well, what, are you a stranger around here? You don't know what's going on? And they told him the story. When they got to the village, he was planning to go on, or acted like he was going on. Verse 29, But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? There was a sense that they had that something was different with this man, but they couldn't put their finger on it. They constrained him to stay because it was getting late. But I'm impressed with their response when they found out who this was after he left. The next verse says, So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he had made and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now this is the verse that was in our Sunday school lesson. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. I jump from John to Luke, and I'm going back to John chapter 20. So 
we have the, the encounter there with Mary. Verse 26 says, After eight days his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Do you all believe this this morning? Can I see your hand if you believe it? So you haven't seen it. Thomas did. I am blessed that it doesn't appear as though Thomas needed to touch to believe. Maybe he did. We have a risen Lord this morning. Verse 30. Truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now I want to go to 1 Corinthians 15. And this is the one that I got started in and I couldn't decide which verse to break out of because you have um, the teaching of the resurrection and then you have what I put down the what if section in there and then you get to some more of it. And I just um, So I'm going to read not all of this chapter, but most of it. Starting at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. Paul is laying out the evidence that Christ is alive. And he, he gives these, these people, the accounts of people that actually met with him. Some of them I read. Drop down to verse 12. And this is the what if part. If Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you... Some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead. If there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. 
Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not dead do not rise. And if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. If the resurrection didn't happen, Christ is still dead, and you have nothing to live for. I have nothing to live for. Mankind has nothing to live for. We're a pitiable bunch. If. Now I have written down here, but. Verse 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's just the first. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. And as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his order, Christ the first fruits. Afterwards, those who are Christ's at his coming. There's something to look forward to. You all said, Christ is risen. He's the first. Those that are his will be raised. Drop down to verse 35. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up and what? About, and with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. So here he's going to paint a picture of this resurrection. Verse 37, what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. So we're getting ready to plant crops. I'm not going to go out there and stick ears of corn in the ground. I'm not going to go out there and stick a stalk of corn in the ground with an ear on it, hoping to get more corn. I'm going to put one kernel there, and I'm going to hope that, that one kernel gives me way more than that. But that one kernel's become a stalk. Verse 38, God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. He also is the So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Let me stop there just a little bit. Because see, that's taking place right before our eyes today. As I watch my father-in-law wasting away, his body 
Yes, it's still here, but it's being sown in corruption. When it comes back, it's not going to be anything like we recognize him as today. Verse 43, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So it is written. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. We recognize that this morning. There's got to be a spiritual death so that we can experience spiritual life. But we can't do that if we don't have a body to work in. Verse 47, the first man was of the earth made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. How are we doing? As we're living life today. Yeah, I know. Is this talking about the image of the heavenly man when we're raised with that new body? Or is it talking about what we are portraying today in our life here with that life-giving spirit? We need to be bearing the image of the heavenly now, looking forward to bearing that image then. Verse 15, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So then this corruptible has put on so when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death can be faced looking for victory as we die in the Lord. As this corruptible goes to dust, we're looking forward to coming back incorruptible. Verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's what counts today and for the future, the things that are 
of the Lord. I'm going to finish with the scriptures from 1 Thessalonians 4, where Paul writing to the Thessalonians says this, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. There again you have him talking about that life without hope that's not uh, faced with the, the recognition of the resurrection. Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So our eternal resurrection is going to have some similarities with that first fruits resurrection. This is the Lord's going to come. It's going to be heard. It's going to be the voice of the archangel. It's going to be a trumpet of God. And the dead are going to come out of the grave. And if you're still here, then you can go along. No, you get to go along if you're a child of God. So this morning I am thankful. Not just on Easter Sunday. I am grateful for Jesus' resurrection. The ability it gives to gives us to live for him today. And that we have hope and comfort that people that don't know this resurrection, haven't experienced the life of Christ within them, don't know. We look forward with anticipation to that resurrection because of his resurrection.